Hello, hello, my friends, and welcome back to the Stimulus Podcast. My name is Rob Orman, and for those of you new to the show, I'm a 20-year veteran of the emergency department and now coach physicians in all stages of their careers. What we do on this podcast is break down ideas, strategies, tactics, habits, mindsets to help you work through feeling burnt and stuck. But it's not just working through the negative. It's helping you thrive in your career, excel in leadership, and feel that you are kicking ass in work and life. You know, things like getting home on time, feeling psyched about going into work. Don't just suck it up. Think differently. If you want to learn more about what we do and chat about working together with one-on-one coaching, you can contact me through my website, roborman.com. Our guest today is Dr. Pranay Parikh. Some of you may know him through his many exploits outside of medicine. Pranay is a hospitalist, a nocturnist hospitalist, a principal of Ascent Equity Group, which is a real estate private equity company predominantly for physicians with over $310 million in assets. So many assets. You're such a chill, unassuming guy. He is a purveyor of the Passive Real Estate Income Academy course, which teaches doctors to be able to find, vet, and invest in real estate syndications. Part of the Passive Income MD podcast that teaches exactly what the title says, and most recently, the Effective Living Formula course, doing more of what matters. He's a husband, a father of two young sons, and also an alto sax player, which many people don't know. Pernay, you wear a lot of hats, my man. Thanks, Rob. Just got to try to stay busy. Yeah, okay. Okay. All right. So underselling it. And I want to get into the entrepreneurial part of your life first. So you're an entrepreneur who has now become a leader of other physician entrepreneurs, but you weren't always that way. What was the pivot point for that change? Rob, I think it's actually a little funny. It's more like bringing stuff from the back. And remember back when we got into medical school, you had to talk about all the other stuff you do outside of medicine. You couldn't just be like, oh yeah, I'm a pre-med biology student. I've taken some (laughs) chemistry. Oh yeah, I did neuroscience once. No, you got to play an instrument. You got to volunteer. You got to do charity work. You have this nice life and as someone that interviews pre-med people, you can smell the people that are just doing it for fun or their CV and the ones that are like actually serious about doing that stuff. We really try to get the people that are well-rounded. But what happens in medical school, in residency, is that they beat that out of you. I remember I was walking in the halls of my residency program and I saw a bunch of art on the wall. I was like, hey, this is super cool. Who gets to pick part of the art? Could I be part of that committee? And my program director was like, are you stupid? I thought you were trying to get into fellowship. This has nothing to do with fellowship. And yeah, you can do it as a tenure life, but think about it, Rob. You're spending like eight, 10, 12 years, depending on if you do fellowship, doing nothing outside of medicine. And it's so hard to pick that up after eight, 10, 12 years. It's like calling someone that you haven't talked to eight years ago, right? It's very difficult and you're rusty and it's just hard. So for me, I like never really lost that spark and it's probably why I didn't get into fellowship. My program director was right. I was in medical school. I did charity art shows for Doctors Without Borders. I'd get a bunch of artists together and give my time for free. And all the money would go to charity and Doctors Without Borders because it's something I was very passionate about. But obviously, 
I didn't know very much as a medical student. And in residency, had a couple other stuff, did some side hustles. Let me pause here for one second. You had side hustles in residency? Yeah, yeah. It's simple things. I was really into kind of art and they call it vinyl figures. It's like these art toys that people paint, hand paint. So to keep my habit, very expensive habit alive, I had to figure out a way to make money. So I realized that I could buy low and sell high. So I want to do it all the time and basically just to be able to go to these conferences, conventions. I used to go to Comic-Con and buy a bunch of stuff. So I'd buy comics and sell them on eBay. So it's all simple stuff, but it's funny how quickly that teaches you economics, teaches you how to, even the stock market, much better than any book would. Would you describe yourself as a hustler? I would say pretty much any physician could qualify as that. Think about just getting into med school. The the problem is, I'm sure we'll talk about this a little bit later, but the problem is we just think, hey, I'm a doctor, I'm in this little silo. But no, like the skills that got you into medicine and the skills you learned along the way are going to make you leaps and bounds better than anyone else in whatever you do. So you got the hustle, we got the hustle, but I want to know what was going on in your life? You got out of your training, you're working as a hospitalist. Was there one moment we thought, whoa, this is not the life I want to be leading. I want to have this other line. I want to have this side hustle or I want to develop the side hustle, make it actually like this really big thing. Or was it, I'm not happy with who I am? Or is it, I'm just really stoked about this other thing. And I want to put my time into that too. Two reasons, Rob. So one, as I grew up, my dad, immigrant, came from a town that just got toilets in 1992. So small town in India. And he worked hard. He worked two jobs to support ourselves, to give us a middle-class life. And he was gone all the time. He was traveling overseas. And as a kid, I resented him. I missed him. I wanted him to spend time. Now I understand as I'm older, but at the time we didn't have as great of a relationship as we do now. When he comes home after going to a trip, wonders why no one's there to give him a big hug. And it's because they're gone, right? And obviously he did that for us. And as I was growing up, I said I'd be different. And it's in medicine, I could see the same things. You work as a hospitalist, you work from 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. or 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. Those are like prime kid awake times. My kid wakes up at 7 and goes to sleep at 7. And obviously, you you have to leave for work at 6, 6.30 and you come home like 7, 7.30. So I wouldn't see him all day. And so that was one. And two, see, I would be at the hospital and I'd see doctors in their 70s, 80s, picking up shifts, picking up night shifts, picking up weekend shifts. And I'm not saying that everyone needs to quit because I actually think Doctors need to work longer, but in a sustainable way. And for a lot of doctors, that's maybe two or three times a week, but definitely not this grueling schedule that we work. I realized that I needed something outside of medicine. You saw the example of your father. You were following that example when you became a hospitalist. You saw around you that there were docs who maybe ought to have been in semi-retirement who were still grinding it out. I thought, I don't know that's the future that I want. I want my life to look like something different and why not start now? It's funny because 
my wife and I have had many arguments like this. And a lot of times it's, she's just asking, who are you doing this for? Are you talking about medicine? Or are you talking about side hustle? Just both. The work is for It boils down to who are you doing this for? And it's easy to say for her and our family. But if you're doing something that's taking you away from them, you have to do it in a much more intentional way. Because what I've seen, Rob, a lot of people do is they have medicine, it's burning them out. They jump right into something else with the same vigor and then get burnt out through that as well. So now they're burnt out in two things. So I think it's not just starting entrepreneurship. It's starting entrepreneurship or a passion or an interest or a pastime with intention, with a system so that you're going to have the results that you want. That's interesting that you bring up the system because I think that is something that clinicians really like. And entrepreneurship seems scary. All this time, our lives have been structured. There's a system, goal-oriented. I need to get into college, I need to get into med school, get into residency, get my first job. And then you're in this job. And there's this cadence that you're used to. Like, okay, what's next? What's my next goal? What's my built-in support team that I've had in all of these evolutions of my education and my training? And I personally found it really disorienting. There is this feeling like you're suddenly in a void, an absence of focus and direction. And I want to tie this into entrepreneurship, where to me, there is a bit of a void aspect of what I'm starting de novo from all of this. So I'm curious as a physician and as an entrepreneur, how did you navigate that? Rob, I know a lot of people come to you after they're a year or two out, not knowing necessarily what to do. And I call it gold medal syndrome. You're in the Olympics and you won a gold medal. You've gotten everything you want in life. And ride that high for a fir first couple months, right? You do interviews, sponsorships, promotions, and then what? You've already won. What do you do? You're at the top of the mountain. And I think we have that a lot as physicians. You can get associate medical director, chief, but only so many people can do that. And I personally don't want to do any administrative work. So we physicians and we actually people need something to strive for. But when we try to do that, and I say something outside of medicine, but like I mentioned, gardening, something, playing an instrument, but it's nice to have a system and butt my head against a wall for a while till I really broke it down into four things. And first one, is realizing that you're more than a doctor. Your identity needs to be something more than just your job. And we physicians really identify with our career because no joke, we spent literally our whole lives getting it. But there's an issue and it makes it very fragile or unstable when you have your identity tied to something where something could happen completely outside of your control to harm that identity. For example, one of my students, she's a general surgeon for 30 years. Critical access hospital, there's nowhere in the area. All, everyone loves her. But the CEO became golf buddies with someone who owned a different group. And all of a sudden, her surgeon group got kicked out. and She had to find another job. Had her really questioning who she was. If she's not a surgeon and she's been doing this for 30 years, who is she? And so I think it's really important to have that diversity of identity, just like you diversify your income. A lot of people know that you want to have money coming in elsewhere, but just as importantly, you want to have 
an identity that is stronger, resilient, and in different places. The way I look at it is each of your identities is a room in your house. If something happens to one room, you go into the other room and you're fine. But if you only have one big room and there's a flood or it's really noisy from next door, you don't really have anywhere to go. Number two is figuring out what you want in life. What do you do after you've gotten everything you want? Uh, I think a lot of times people are, they actually become physicians because it's their parents or someone else that wants to be them, but they haven't really sat down and thought about what they wanted in life. So for me, fellowship, I thought I wanted it, but I was happy I didn't get in because I was able to move on with my life. I didn't want to be in training anymore. I got a master's degree from Carnegie Mellon in medical administration. And I thought I wanted to do that, but I don't. And I do zero medical admin. I actually asked for a demotion so that I don't have to do any. But it's because not I didn't really sit down. If I had thought of it and you and I went through this, like, where do you see yourself in five years? Yeah. And I think it's really important to do. And very rarely do we actually do it because as soon as people do it, they're like, okay, no, I can't do it because of this. I can't do it because of that. I can't do it. Our brain starts giving all this resistance, the lizard brain. Number three, you have to have an algorithm to make decisions. We physicians, we have to make so many decisions a day and we give the same weight to all of them. Tukulax at the hospital should not be the same as where you go to fellowship or where you go to training or who you marry. You can do a pro-cons thing. That's what a lot of us do. Should I go here? What is the good? What is the bad? But you can't do that for everything. Or the other thing, and this is very corporate, is you figure out your values. How does that help me decide between two things? What I would decide, basically sacrifice everything to get into med school while I was a pre-med is different than what I would do now. Now, my family is a lot more uh, important. I actually didn't have much. I didn't have a wife and kids at that time. So uh, what I call them are guiding principles, the rule of thumbs to help you decide. And one of mine is handle hard well. And this is a based on a long speech by a WNBA coach uh, in North Carolina, where she says, over time, life gets harder. And I think that's true. Pre-med was hard, but med school was way harder. And uh, clinical years were harder than the first two years, intern year, residency. And actually, last of all, attendee life is super hard. I thought I'd be chilling as an attendee, but you have a lot more stress, a lot more responsibilities, which kind of makes sense. So the sooner you understand that life is going to get harder, and when you accept that, uh, you can really prepare better for it. Just like having a kid you're in that infant time, newborn, you're like, man, this sucks. Can't wait to get some sleep. And then infant, and a toddler, you're like, holy shit, they run around and are literally trying to kill themselves. And it just it gets harder over time when they get a car and all that stuff. So it just reminds me that life is going to get better. Life is going to get, will get better, but it's going to get harder. And I just need to understand and be able to handle that. And one other one is called Arambushra. And it's a Sanskrit word. And it means the hero in the beginning. I have a tendency to start a ton of projects and just abandon them in the beginning. So it reminds me two things. One, to finish what I started. And two, don't start anything if I don't know I'm going to finish. What was the word that you said? Arumbushra. Arumbushra. And that means what again? The hero in the beginning. You had mentioned something earlier about physician's identity. And mm-hmm. 
what that becomes. And it becomes so calcified that this is all that I am. And there's some interesting exercises that you can go through, just some simple questions to ask yourself as a physician. First, what is the identity of a physician or being a physician mean to you? Is it healer, provider, public health advocate, lifesaver, scientist? Then what's beneficial to you about that identity? Because we talk about it that, oh, this is not all you are, not all you are. It's awesome. I mean, it's amazing. There's credibility, stature, it opens doors. There's a lot of great things or it just feels cool, resonates with me. Then how does this identity trap you or get in the way? And as you mentioned, one of the things is I can't do anything else and I'm just a doctor and I, I can't be an entrepreneur. I can't enter the void. And the last part of that is what is a missing part of your identity that you'd like to cultivate? And that's the real one that gives pause in a good way. What's missing in you that you'd like to see? That simple single question can start to open doors to give you the freedom to say, I am this thing plus that other thing. Exploring what is your identity as a physician can crack open an egg, which seems like it was, oh, I'm loving this metaphor, which seems like it was made out of solid rock, like those dinosaur eggs, like those fossil eggs. But it's actually, it's just a regular egg. There's a lot of great nutritious stuff inside. Ooh, that, I'm feeling that metaphor. It's getting a little bit messy because we just cracked <laughs> an egg. How's that landing <laughs> with you? Yeah, I love that. And a lot of the beginning is just, and I have people tell me this all the time is, Hey, Pranay, you think I could get into real estate? You think I could get entrepreneurship? You think I could do anything outside of medicine? I'm just a doc. A lot of times it's emails and I look at their like little signature. It'll be like micro hen surgeon at Yale, director of this fellowship program director. But when you're so deep into one identity, it feels like you're going to have to do that same level of commitment. An education to get into anything else. One of the reasons I got into real estate, I was like, man, there's all these 18-year-olds that are killing it in real estate. If they can do it, I could probably do it. So a lot of it in the beginning is going from I'm just a doc to I am a doctor. And losing that word, one word, just becomes so powerful. Let me pause you there for a moment because I, you gave me back access to the Effective Living Formula course super fun. And there's an exercise in there that I spent a lot of time on and I was texting about and it had to do with identity. I think we're going to stay on identity for a while here. And I was thinking back because I was reading this exercise, which I'll get into in a moment. And we talk about identity. So one of the ways to build a habit is to assume the identity of somebody who would have that habit or make that habit a part of your identity. And to me, that's this, like a small I identity. And your exercise walks through basically character invention. It's almost like you're writing a script for a movie and you identify an identity. What are the qualities that you want to embody or who is it that you want to be? And it's just things to experiment with. So you write that down. And then the second part is perform as if you were this person. You method act this for however long. What would they wear? What would they listen to? What events would they go to? What magazines would they subscribe to? I don't know. 
magazines anymore. The people don't get those. <laughs> I thought that was really compelling. For you and your experience and the people you've walked through this, what does working through that get you in the end? People who get a lot of success, for example, a running habit, they call themselves runners. I'm not someone that's trying to run, but I am a runner. And it carries over to who do you want to be? I want to be someone that's a course creator. And a lot of times I people come to me in real estate or entrepreneurship. There's, okay, do you think I could be an entrepreneur or do you think I could own real estate? Have you gone on Zillow? Have you looked at apartments or houses to buy? You're already that. And this is the thing that people get into. They're like, okay, it took me 20 years to get into medical school. I have to spend the equivalent time or maybe even half to do something else, but you don't. You can accept that identity. It's like putting on that Batman uniform, even if you don't really feel it. And what I've realized is that we physicians really feel the need to be extra double, triple sure about something. And it's <laughs> well put. But. Imposter syndrome just really rears its ugly head. And a lot of that, it really boils down to fear. And remember, this is not a different person. This is you at your best. I use an example of Beyonce. If you've ever seen Beyonce concert, like she's the queen, like she's killing it. But even she has this alter ego called Sasha Fierce. And anytime she goes on stage, she's it's Sasha. She's killing it up there. And so I think it's really important to, uh, to have that identity of yourself. You're not doing stuff different. You're doing stuff that you want to do, but just in a way that you're feeling a lot more confident and are able to really take in that identity. So it's not just okay, I'm thinking it. It's no, I'm being this person. Just think about the best version of yourself that day that you're killing it. If you can have every day be like that, like how much different would your life be? And why not? Why can't that day be? You had that confidence, you had that swagger. And it's trying to embody that without having to prove it to yourself for months and years. I was going to ask you if you had seen Coach Prime on either Netflix or Amazon. I'm sure what it is, but if you're not watching TV, you haven't seen it. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to answer for you. The answer is no, but I'm going to tell you about it. I'm going to tell you about it because I see, as you're talking through this, I see this connection between identity and belief. And this show, Coach Prime, is about Deion Sanders mm -hmm. and his takeover as a football coach at Jackson State University. And it's a bit of background for Listeners have never heard of him. Deion Sanders was a two-sport professional athlete, played American football and baseball. He's in the NFL Hall of Fame. He's the only athlete to play in both the World Series and the Super Bowl. I mean, he's probably one of the greatest all-around athletes of the modern age, or at least he was when he was in his prime. And he has a larger-than-life personality. When he's around, it's about him. And in this series, he's taking over as a coach at this college. And he has kind of this scorched earth approach to remodeling and remolding the culture of the Jackson State football team with, it, it seems to me, two fundamental focuses. We're getting a little bit off. Actually, you know what? We're not off topic because it's not a topic. I guess it's identity. Identity is a topic. But he has two fundamental focuses. And they are that, that these players are family and that they are winners. It's tough love. And I, I can't say that I actually align with many of his methods and his approach, but his results are quite clear. The team went from unknown to winning 
multiple championships immediately. And some of this has to do with the recruiting classes. Some of it has to do that the quarterback is his son, who's an incredible quarterback. But really, as you watch this team, culture is so much a part of it. And one thing that he's inculcating into the minds of his players is belief. I believe. I think that's written in several places throughout the training grounds. I believe. It's like Ted Lasso, but Dion's more stick and Ted Lasso's more <laughs> carrot. Wait a second. Have you seen Ted Lasso? Please tell me. No. Ted Lasso. I have seen clips of it. Okay. Because yeah. people are like, it's such a good show on leadership, right? Yeah. So I have seen clips. Okay. All right. So I believe that's it. So Dion and Ted, it's the same thing. Believe. They do believe and they nurture a sense of belonging. And they, it, you watch this happen in real time on the show. They take on the identity of a winning team. Each player takes on that identity. And if they don't, if they don't fully embrace it, they're out. They're done. And identity and belief are so intertwined. The evidence is quite convincing that belief alone can impact outcome. Let's just take that outside of the Dunning-Kruger effect when belief in yourself will probably cause quite a bit of calamity. But in general, belief that you can win, identity as a winner, and really identity as part of a tribe, it becomes this self-fulfilling prophecy. And I don't have a question with that, but, I'm, but as you're saying all that, I'm thinking, yeah, when you take on this identity of I had a friend, ER Doc, she's on the show a couple years ago, and she was just going through work as a renter. She said, I rent, I'm renting this job. It sucks. I hate all this. To, you know what? I own this job and I want to make it beautiful. And I am a public health officer. I am a diagnostician. I am a patient advocate. I am a resuscitationist. And she would walk into each shift that this is who I am. Total experience changed. There was some belief in that you're actually, your performance is probably going to change and your experience of it and what you're willing to do and the risks you're willing to take, not risks with patients, but risks you're willing to take in your life to grow are fundamentally different. Rob, I completely agree. There's actually some really interesting research that is showing. So, you know, when they do placebo controlled trials, they do control, they do placebos. I think in the future, we're going to see an extra arm, a belief arm. And they've done this similarly with smokers. They tell smokers, hey, we're going to give you three different doses. This is the high, this is the medium, this is the low. And smokers will know that it gives you a little buzz, it gives you a little concentration, help, focus. But everyone got the same dose. But the people that believed that they and were told that they got the higher dose had an increase in fMRI part of their brain that would normally light up when they had that increased focus, increased concentration. So the brain is super smart and just a belief in something is very powerful. And we're, we're starting to have empirical data that goes along with that. We all knew. You all have that patient at the hospital. One day they're doing okay fighting for their life. The next day they give up and unfortunately they pass within hours. While you have that other one, they just have a really strong family support and things look bad. They look hairy for a while, but they, they just believe they're going to go through and they somehow do. Now, I'm not saying obviously that 
they don't need medicine. They probably had amazing doctors and medicine along the way, but it's that extra dimension, that belief that helps us. And the nice thing is it doesn't really hurt us as long as you're not doing things that are completely outside of zone, a little bit of extra belief and that identity is going to help you. I just, I just had to laugh at that. Listeners, Renee is a full believer in LevaFed. He's not trying to teach septic, <laughs> septic shock with belief alone. Yeah, you have to have that disclaimer these days. There's so. <laughs> All right, Pernay, as we're wrapping this up, how can people find you? How can people connect with you? How can people find all your goodies? Yeah. So my email address is info, info at pernayparik.com. And if you're interested in the course, you can go to theeffectivelivingformula.com. All right. Thank you, Pernay. Thank you. And that is it for today. To learn more about one-on-one coaching, to get complete show notes for this or any other episode, sign up for our newsletter, and find the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. Maybe not. Maybe it's happening. Just head over to our website, roborman.com. Until the next time, my friends, be well and keep on rocking.